This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning, church. How are you all doing well? Amen. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand so you can follow along with us. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, going to finish our Glorious Expectation series today. And like Stephanie mentioned, our Easter services, this, this theme of expectations are going to roll right into our Easter services. We have Palm Sunday next Sunday, which Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem wasn't exactly what the people expected. They rejoiced in him as the Messiah, but then after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, nobody expected things to go down the way that they went down. So that's going to be the focus, looking at the disciples, their response, looking at the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have the sunrise service and our two regular services. Please be praying and invite your friends and family. It is going to be great. I have two announcements for you before we get into our word this morning. Number one, there's one ministry of our church that we've been doing since the very beginning. Since before we started having Bible studies, the ministry that we started with was a prayer team that prayed for the start of the church and has been in existence since we started. And We changed the times from here and there, but um, to let you know now, our prayer team meets here every morning at 8 o'clock to pray for you, for the services, whoever the Lord draws, and what he has for his church and for the rest of this week, I want to implore you to consider to be a part of the prayer team. It is the most important ministry in our church. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And and if you don't know where you fit in at Paradise, I believe that the prayer team is the perfect place for you to start so that you can seek him and see if there's a different um, route or children's ministry that you can serve in that capacity. Amen? Because everybody, everybody wants to serve in kids' ministry, right? Not one yes? Ha, 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 Pastor Tim, you're so funny. And then our second announcement, uh, Pastor Tommy Bertoli is going to be doing an Israel seminar. He started on Tuesday. He's going to be uh, continuing it tonight. For those of you who don't know, we have a Sunday night service that has been at 6 o'clock every week, and we're changing that time from 6 to 5, and he's doing the um, 70 weeks of Daniel, I believe, and come and be a part of that. Look at the Old Testament prophecy of Daniel and and see how Israel fits into the big picture of everything. I want to encourage you to do that. They had a great turnout on Sunday or Tuesday, and I'm sure that it's going to be a blessed time tonight here at the church at five o'clock. All right, glorious expectations. We had a two part series last week. Was uh, practicals of expecting, meaning that you can prepare yourself to expect something good from God. Amen. 
You can, prepare, you can be prepared to receive good things from God. I think nowadays it's easier for us to prepare ourselves to receive bad things from God. <laughs> God's not for me. He's, he's against me. And I, I, no, I don't expect to get anything good from him. Well, that's the wrong attitude to have. It's a bad attitude. And I want you to know through our series in 1 Peter that God has glorious things for you. And he wants you to have glorious expectations. As we conclude this study through 1 Peter, last week, the practicals of expecting, we have very logical, practical things that we can put into practice that get, that put us in the right place for expecting good things from God. And now the second part of our practicals of expecting. There's a subtitle to that that you could even put in parentheses on the side of your notes. Uh, Practicals of expecting in suffering. Even in suffering, while you're suffering, you can be expecting to receive good things from God. Maybe not today, hopefully today, but definitely in the future. Definitely for tomorrow. Don't lose hope in today or in tomorrow because you don't trust what God is doing through this season in your life. Because I guarantee, 100% money back guarantee that he is for you and that it's going to be good things that he has for you in the future. But there's things that you can do to prepare yourself to receive those good things. There's things that you can do to have an attitude, even in suffering, that God is good towards you. He's going to fulfill the promises and and the things that he has said to you. Amen? I don't know if you believe that, but I definitely do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning and for these precious people who want to hear your word. We pray, Lord, for cultivated soil of our hearts that we would receive your word, that it would be received into that soil, that it would germinate, it would produce life, it would produce fruit to your glory. That's what your word does. It's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So in worship, we submit ourselves to you, study it and apply it to see your glory. We also thank you, Father, for the songs that we got to sing to you, that we wouldn't just say those songs in words, but we would say them from the depths of our hearts for our great love that we have for you in, in a form of worship. We also thank you, God, for taking care of us for taking care of our families, for providing for us. And we pray that our tithes and offerings to you today would be an an act of worship towards you and that those would go to your glory as well, Lord. We love you. Bless your word because it is blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 12 through 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. With exceeding joy? Convenience is king. Do you guys know that? Convenience in America, and here even especially more so in our city, is king. In fact, I was driving down the road the other day, and I saw this big billboard that said, Licensed Agents 24 Hours a Day for this insurance company. I'm not going to tell you which insurance company it was. It just had a little lizard at the bottom, and you could say 15% or more. Licensed agents 24 hours a day. So if you have an anxiety attack at two o'clock in the morning, you can be rest assured that you can talk to a, a licensed agent at any time. 
more locally than you would think, you know, most telemarketers would be. And they're going to plug you in to just the right plan for you. Why? Because we have become creatures of convenience. Uh, not very many people write checks anymore. It's okay with me if you do or don't. It doesn't bother me. Because if you write me a check, you know what I do? I pull out my smartphone, which is smarter than many people even, and I go to my banking app, and I literally deposit my check on my desk in my office into my bank account. And if that's too much trouble, because that's pretty inconvenient if you ask me. I can have somebody uh, Venmo me some money I can have them zella me some money. I can have them cash app me some money. And if I want to get under the radar, I can get some Bitcoin. <laughs> Things are so convenient for us. It's so easy. That is seeped into even our church culture where we think if things aren't convenient and easygoing, then God must not be for us. This is the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, what would you say the opposite of convenience is? What is the technical opposite of convenience? Inconvenience. This is quite inconvenient. You could also say that it's something that you have to suffer through. This isn't right. This should be easier. We live in America. Suffering? You know, one of the things that the Word of God talks about the most from the beginning to the very end is how we should deal with suffering. And it gives us these examples of suffering. And it's not God wanting us to suffer because he doesn't like us. He wants us to go through suffering even sometimes as discipline to make us better so that we're not spoiled, stinking brats who are always screaming about our rights and privileges. But God wants to build character in us. Let's read those verses again. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Now, what we're going to do in this last part of 1 Peter is I'm going to break this chapter and a half into three sections. So if you're a note taker, and I hope you are because it helps retain information, I'm going to go through three sections in closing through the book that in regards to suffering and the practicals of expectation. Number one, what not to do while you're suffering. I love the practicality of God's word. I'm a man. Men are very practical. So whenever I come across a portion of scripture that's practical, I take special note to it. You can take these things to the bank, even mobile deposit them, if you will. Allow it to be an investment for you. And, and, and the second thing is the practicals for leaders in the church. Even the leaders need instruction from a leader. We're going to look at that. And the number three, simply the devil. Yeah, when it comes to suffering, he likes to allow us to place ourselves in a position that God doesn't want us to be in. So what not to do while you're suffering, the practicals for leaders and the devil. Point number one, we are going to have six sub points. I know you don't like that. Give me two, give me three. No, you've got six points Six things that you should not do when you're suffering, okay? Number two, practicals for leaders. You're going to have six things that you should do in leadership. 
And then we're going to look at the devil and our concluding four points if you want to follow along and take notes. So don't find it strange. Number one, what not to do when you're suffering. Do not think it's strange. Number one, do not. Look at it as some kind of inconvenience in your life. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, which is to what you? Try, test, prove. Don't find it strange that you're going through this thing and it's to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Say with me, with exceeding joy. That's the end to your suffering. That's what your expectation is to be. I know that sometimes it doesn't seem like that through the trial, but as you go through the difficulty, as you suffer, you're proven, you're tested, you're tried. The end result of looking forward to is exceeding joy. You know, the mark of a true believer is joy. You know a, a person who, who truly has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that they are happy because they understand their position before God, even in suffering. Say what? This is inconvenient, Tim. I don't like this. This is not fair. It is good. It's to prove. It's not, it's not a strange thing. It's not weird. God knows what's happening. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Now, what does that mean? Oh, man. I should rejoice that I get to partake in Christ's sufferings. Jesus Christ understanding that the things that he was to go through on earth were merely temporal. They were just for today and temporary. And he was doing it for an eternal purpose. Look with me, if you will, at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. We're going to read through all of the verses to get the context, but I want to make some points out to you as we come back around toward the end. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares. What is this? The cloud of witnesses, also known as the hall of faith. People who demonstrated genuine faith through trial and rejoicing in their sufferings. You went through the Starbucks line. You got your drink. You drove away and realized they gave me the wrong drink. Why do I have to go through this suffering? I'm going to be late for work now. I don't like lattes. I have to drive around and get back in line again, or I have to go inside. This is inconvenient. Why do I have to go through these things? Doesn't God know? Meanwhile, one of the brothers in this chapter in Hebrews is being sawed in half. Graphic picture, huh? Not a magic trick. Hey, I'm okay. Sawed in half because of his faith suffering. And somehow for us, when we're slightly inconvenienced, we equate it as some great suffering. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who went through suffering. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the endurance 
the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the what that was set before him? For the what? For the joy that was set before him? He endured the cross, despising the shame? Let me ask you this question, church. What was the joy that was set before Jesus that drove him to the cross? What was it? What could possibly bring him joy? Us. Us. I was the joy that propelled the Son of God in obedience to go to the cross. Him knowing that this momentary suffering that was going to pass was going to bring an eternal result that I was going to have reconciliation to God and a right relationship with him. And all of you were as well today, but also for tomorrow and all of eternity. For the what that was set before him? Jesus is always the perfect example Jesus is always the one that we can look to and have confidence and say, if Jesus suffered unto the glory of God for others' benefit and for a reward himself, why can't I? Why can't I rejoice? Rejoice doesn't necessarily mean to embrace, but it does mean to embrace. It means to be okay with the fact that we're going through these things. Not because we should just be okay and that should be it, but because we have an expectation in God for tomorrow. We have an expectation of God through the suffering. We have an expectation to partake in God's glory just like Jesus did. What was the ultimate gift or the ultimate uh, blessing or reward of Jesus despising the shame and going to the cross for you and me? Well, yeah, it's you and me, but I don't really, you know, whatever. You guys are whatever. But what did he get to do? It says that afterwards he got to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that speaks of? It speaks of the most intimate kind of fellowship with the Father. He did it. He suffered. And he gets to partake in God's glory. He gets to sit next to God the Father and, and see the work continue to unfold over and over. That death, that, that sacrifice being credited to people's account on a daily basis. What an investment on an hourly basis, on a minute to minute, second to second basis. The, the product of Jesus's faith and suffering is applied to others so that they can have reconciliation to God. For consider him who, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. I, that's one of my favorite verses. When people talk about struggling with sin, it's so hard, I can't stop doing this or doing that or substance abuse, porn, whatever it is. It's so hard, I can't do it. Have you yet resisted uh, sin to the shedding of your own blood? Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane weeping. It says, drops of blood. Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. To the point of shedding blood, he was sinless. I'm not trying to hold you up to that standard because that blood covers you. That's the point. 
but you have not yet resisted to that point. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? If you are a parent, you know that... uh, chastisement is necessary as as a parent to 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 discipline your kids in the right direction and if you don't you have these maniac children that terrorize the world how do i know that it's not just the parents they terrorize you take them out into the world and they terrorize me too and i don't appreciate that what father doesn't love his children and 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 chasten them But again, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Number one, think it not strange, but rejoice. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, verse 14, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, notice with me this as we go into the next verse. When you feel pressure, when you are going through suffering, your natural response, nay, my natural response is to push back against it, right? Now, I don't want to suffer. I don't like inconvenience. I don't want to go through this. How can I mitigate this suffering as much as possible? Now he's going to list Five more things, four things specific that we would do in pushing back against suffering. And Peter's saying, do not do these things, for it is not good for you. You are not submitting to the process of suffering to bring forth God's promises and glory in your life. Number one, don't think it's strange. Number two, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. If you are suffering to the point where you're willing to take somebody else's life to mitigate that suffering, the Bible says that's probably not okay. Now, I don't need to give you specifics because I think that's clear enough for itself. We can, it's uncomfortable, and we don't like to talk about letting somebody else persecute us without retaliation, especially as Americans. But think of it this way. Jesus said, if you hate your brother or you hate somebody in your mind, you've committed murder. You've murdered them. Have you ever said to somebody, you're dead to me. They're dead to me. I'm never talking to them again. You know, you've been in a situation where you're pressured and you're suffering and you're willing to kill that person out of your life to mitigate the difficulty that you have to go through. And that's not a proper response a proper way to address the suffering that you're going through. Now, am I saying that you can't make adjustments in your life to not allow people to be in your life that cause you unwanted heartache? I'm not saying that. And I think that there's a place for that, absolutely. What I'm saying to you is don't have the intention and heart of killing somebody to mitigate the suffering that you're going through because God wants to teach you something through it. You don't fight against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. It's probably not even that person that's coming directly against you. It's probably an influence from that person 
or something that's influencing that person that's coming against you, that God is allowing to put you in a place of suffering so that he can teach you something. Do not murder. Number two, a thief. Don't steal. You're low on cash. You don't have the money. You need to pay your bills, right? And, and it's easy. Nobody counts the cash drawer after me. I'm the one that puts the final numbers in. I'll take a few bucks to take care of myself. God doesn't want you to trust in your own provision. He wants you to trust in his provision for you. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, submitting to the suffering of season of suffering that you're going through will, will look like you saying, God, I know that I don't have to worry about tomorrow and that you're going to take care of me. Don't dip into the tip jar before it's split out between everybody else. Don't do things that you know you shouldn't be doing to, to get gain when God is the one who's promised to take care of you. And even though you're feeling the suffering, he's going to give you the provision that you need. I've gotten money minutes before I had to have a, ba a bill paid, miraculously. Sure, I could have gone in the other room and taken it out of my wife's purse because she has more money than I do. But I wait for the Lord's provision. You guys sleeping? You Okay. God's going to take care of you. There's no excuse to allow the pressure of suffering to cause you to do something that is going to demonstrate that you don't really have the faith that you say you have if you believe God is who he says he is and he says he's going to take care of you. That's one, two, number three, number four. Don't do evil. Don't do an evildoer. This is a little bit more difficult because if somebody does something mean to them, that means that obviously I can do something mean to them, right? If they do something mean to me, then I can repay it. Don't know. Don't be an evildoer. In fact, if you flip one page over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courageous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Don't return evil. For, it's easy to say, hey, this is how you treat me. And this is how I'm going to treat you. It's easy to say that. It's harder to have compassion and say, you know what? Maybe in this suffering, instead of me being pushed to a place of doing evil or repaying evil for evil, I will trust God that in submitting to this suffering, I could see his glory and receive the reward of his glory. Number five, an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters. When I'm going through suffering, I can mitigate that suffering by going and talking to other people. But not the way that I should. Uh, I can defend myself I can talk bad about them. I can whisper, whisper. I can gossip. I can tear them down. But that's not me submitting to the suffering and the trial that God has for me so that I can have an expectation in seeing his glory. Do you understand that? Whatever you say to other people to mitigate the suffering that you're feeling, even if it's self-justified, because I can even do that, can't I? I can say something to somebody else about somebody else that maybe doesn't affect them directly but makes me feel better about myself. It mitigates the suffering that I'm going through. I could feel better about myself. Next thing you know, there's more of a place of pride than humility, which we're going to get to as well. Again, these are practical tools that we can understand 
going through suffering is going to produce good things just like it did for Jesus. Number six, and the final one, don't be a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. What's the sixth thing you should do? You, if you are suffering, should not be ashamed of that suffering. And I love how he ends on that kind of positive note. Don't murder anybody. Don't steal anything. Don't backbite. Don't gossip. But listen, most of all, number six, don't be ashamed. I'm ashamed of my position. I'm ashamed of my condition. And I can't even go to church because people are going to see this trial and see me suffer. They're going to see me cry during worship. And I don't want that. Don't be ashamed. Knowing this, knowing. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. What does that mean? That means, yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm sick. Yes, my, my family's falling apart. Yes, my job is a yesterday. Yes, all these trials and suffering I'm going through. But I know who God is. I know who he is. I know what he's promised me. I know that I can have great, nay, I can have glorious expectations in him. And through this suffering, I'm going to be able to partake in his glory. Glorify God in this manner so people can see how the suffering produces glory and glorious expectations from God. Verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, the righteous one is scarcely saved. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. This is important. The time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God and that it begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's, it's necessary for us to realize that we are God's children. And if he loves you as his children, what's he going to do? Shout it out. He's going to discipline us. Thank you. He's going to discipline us because he loves us. Hebrews chapter 12 we read the beginning section. If we skip down to verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible about discipline says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it. My kids don't come up to me and say, daddy, I did something wrong. Will you spank me, please? Please spank me. I feel so guilty. No, they don't do that. Why? Because no discipline at the present time is joyful. They don't take joy in being disciplined. When my kids were little, little, I would, you know, have fun with them in discipline even. I know that sounds sick and twisted, but bear with me for a second, okay? I would say to them, you're in trouble. You did get my dad voice because that really gets them, you know, it's just theatrical. You're in trouble. You're busted and you're going to get disciplined now. So, so bend over and give yourself a spanking. And they say, okay, with their diapers on. Okay, daddy. <laughs> oh, and they, and they spank themselves. So I don't have to go to jail. <laughs> and even with them spanking themselves, they're weeping 
through the process of discipline because they know that it's necessary because I love them. And guess what? That act, even though Grace and I are like, this is so cute, get the video care spanking himself. They get the concept of what discipline is supposed to do for them. And it teaches them a lesson to where they don't do the same thing again. It worked. I can't do that to them anymore. I try, but it doesn't work like it did when they were two or three. But no, no discipline is joyful, no matter what it looks like, yet. You know, there's something that I notice about my kids when I discipline them. I discipline my kids, and it's not five or ten minutes later that I, tell, I, give, I always give them a hug. I don't shun them. I say, I love you. I, I just need you to understand this. And, and you, I want you to know I will always love you. And they give me a hug, and they always come back five or ten minutes later and say, Daddy, I love you so much. Thank you for being my daddy. You're the best in the world. That's what they say to me all the time. You're the best in the world. I'm like, you don't know that. You've never had another dad, okay? I mean, I'm pretty good, but don't put me up on a pedestal too high. And their whole attitude has changed. And they're good for another hour. Okay, maybe 15 minutes, half an hour. No, but it, it affects them immediately and their attitude changes. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it. And so often we seem like just a bunch of snivelly, snot-nosed brats who are beating our chests to God saying, I don't deserve this. What are you doing? You're a bad father. He's saying, you don't understand what I'm bringing you to tomorrow. So how can you have that attitude toward me today? You don't know what I'm preparing you for. You don't know how I want to display who I am. You don't know how I want to show my glory to the world through your life. That's why it's necessary for you to go through this right now. But it's not convenient. It's not comfortable. I know that's why I'm doing it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, but Jesus knew their thoughts. And said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. What does this mean? It's necessary for the judgment or discipline of God to come on the church so that the church of God is not divided. We also understand that the church is filled with both sheep and goats. You should prefer to be a sheep. Sheep are those which need a shepherd, need to be tended and cared for. Goats are independent and do what they want. If you've never had a goat, trust me. Why do you think goat yoga is a thing? Because no other animal is audacious enough to jump up on your back while you're stretching. It's just rude. But they're independent. They don't care about you. They just want to do what they want to do. What does the Bible instruct us? Leave the sheep and the goats alone. And when the time comes, the good shepherd's going to come and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. I know who you goats are in here. Just kidding. He also says, hey, there's, a, there's an enemy that comes in in the night and sows tares in with the wheat. And the servants say, master, master, the enemy came in and sowed tares. He said, it's okay. Leave it alone. Let them grow together. At the harvest, I will take and I will separate the wheat in my storehouses and I'll toss the, the, the weeds in the fire to be burned. 
God knows where we're at. It's not even for me to say who you are or where you're at. I'm just trying to get you to understand that you want to be a a fruitful wheat that produces fruit for God. You want to be a a lamb or, or a sheep that is tended and cared for by God, that he leaves the 99 to retrieve you because you have that kind of value to him. And this is why it's necessary for sometime God to say, this needs to stop in the church, and I'm going to be the one that makes that judgment. Not you, Tim, me. And God brings people to the church, and he removes people to the church based on his process in doing so, and I don't understand it, and I need to be okay with that. But as a shepherd, sometimes it's difficult because I get attached to the stinky, bitey, mean sheep. but God knows what he's doing. He says, I'm going to take care of my people. I want you to be willing to be part of the process. Verse 23, who, Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. There we go again, okay? Who's the righteous judge? God. God, what are you doing in our church right now? I can see, uh, 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 you know, vaguely, and I understand that it's good things, and I have super high expectations for what God is doing in our church this year. Let me tell you, I have complete confidence. I can't wait, and I just see good and better and better things happening. And God is pouring out his Holy Spirit and glory into our fellowship, and I'm so excited what the rest of this year looks like. I have confidence in him that he is a righteous judge and he's going to take care of things the way they need to be taken care of. And we want to be good stewards through that process. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd shepherd and overseer of your soul. So here we very naturally transition into our um, second to last point of practicals for, for leaders. We have the great shepherd and overseer of our souls, and then we have those who are called to be leaders in the church, which is what we're going to look at now. I was on the wrong page. That was weird. I guess you guys needed to hear that. My page flipped while I wasn't paying attention, and I read the number correctly, but therefore, (laughs) verse 19, chapter 4, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Therefore, let those who suffer according to what? Suffer according to what? The will of God. There it is again. Darn it. This isn't even happenstance. This is the will of God. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. God, I know what you're doing is going to be good. Chapter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. 
Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I'm a fellow elder. Peter, who many people believe was the top number one pastor, teacher, elder, says to the elders here, I exhort you as a fellow elder. He places himself on level playing field. There, God doesn't want any kind of authoritarianism in the church, and we're going to talk more about that. It's in one of our six points that we're going to talk about with, with, with leaders I'm a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I saw what Jesus went through, and you can see it too according to the scriptures. You can see how he suffered and be a witness to that suffering and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter says, "I, I, I suffered also, I believe this is what he's saying. I suffered also, but I also, because of my suffering, partook of the glory. And I saw Jesus partake of the glory of his sufferings. I'm a partaker of the glory in that I was redeemed and saved uh, and brought back to right fellowship with God through the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Here's the first of our six points. Number one, to the church leaders, practicals of expectation or of suffering shepherd the flock. This reminds me of John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, when Jesus restores Peter after Peter denied him three times. Jesus had three questions for Peter on the, 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 the beach of the Sea of Galilee that morning that he went back to fish. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to uh, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of of this passage, but we just want to look at something just from from this perspective. He said to him again a second time, Simon of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had, he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What was Jesus calling Peter to be? A shepherd. Tend my lambs. Who are the lambs? The little baby sheep. Can be a little bit more difficult than the bigger sheep. What's the next thing he says? Tend my sheep. What does that mean? Tending something means to take care of, and it's more than just feeding. It's, 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 it's caring for it. And then lastly, what does he say? He says, feed my sheep. Peter, I've called you to be an elder. I've called you to be a shepherd. And this is what I want you to do. Take care of my people. In the church of God, me as an elder in the church, I am not to be an authoritative figure over you. And I hate it when people look at me like that. I'm no greater than anybody else whatsoever. I'm just somebody who's called to to take care of the little ones, tend and love and care for all of you, and to make sure you're well-fed in God's word, not my opinion. 
This is what my calling is, and I, and I hope that, that you can see that I take it very seriously. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers. Now this word overseer is also connected to this eldership. And it's, it's not somebody who's lording something over you, which we're going to get to more in a second. But it's something who's making sure things are going well with you. It's a caring. It's a coming, coming alongside. Not by compulsion, but willingly. God doesn't want us, we look through scripture, God doesn't want us to do anything in compulsion. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, hey, you guys take up an offering every week and put it to the side so that we can get it when we get there because I don't want to get there and then have people give in compulsion. I'm never going to be like, hey, guys, you know, I think the Lord wants you all to give us, uh, the church, a check for $100,000 so we can get this building fund off the ground, okay? It's a word from the Lord. No. Never do we want to put people in a position to do something in compulsion. There was a church that got in trouble uh, not too long ago, maybe a few years ago now, that they were having spontaneous baptism. The, 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 the thing was spontaneous baptism, and, and the plan was, we're just going to have a spontaneous baptism, but the reality was it came out that it was very planned. And 30, 40, 50 people were separated and, and put up, feathered out into the audience. It was a very large church. So that when the spontaneous baptism was given, hey guys, you know, we're just going to have baptisms today. Who wants to get baptized? And then those people who were planted start to filter, trickle down, and then it would pro pro provoke an emotional response for other people. Like, yeah, look at all these people go. Maybe I need to get baptized today. Compulsion. And leadership that leads in compulsion is not healthy leadership. I, I don't want to get into it, okay? I, feel, I have strong feelings. I don't want to provoke you to make an emotional response. Your response to the Lord needs to be a, a reasoned, educated, confirmed in your heart, repentant step of faith response, period. It is not me coercing you into saying a Jesus prayer. It is you saying, this is who I am from now on. This is who I want to be. And I repent of my sins and move forward in action. Because faith is always directly connect connected to action. And tried to do it to me again. Do you guys see that? Same verse too. I won't be fooled twice. Not by compulsion, but willingly and service and in, in willingness. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Do you know that there's people out there that preach the gospel for dishonest gain? They're greedy. Anybody that wants to be in ministry for money is in it for the wrong reason. Not being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Those are the last two. Not being lords. What is a lord? A lord is somebody who exercises some authority over people. And Jesus, to the seven churches in Revelation, to a couple of the churches, he says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were to, Nico, Nico is to rule, and Leo is over. The Nicolaitans ruled over the people. They put another level before God for the people and an authority, and God hates that. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom so that you could have direct access to God to go boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. He doesn't want anybody placing some kind of man-made religious authority over you. It's not there. You have it freely to him. 
but be examples to the flock. God's desire for the elders and the leaders in the church is to lead by example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, not follow me as I lead you, as I am an authoritative figure over you. He said, I'm following Jesus. That's my number one goal in life. And, I, and that I can say I'm following him. Therefore, you can follow us together. You can follow me. I'm following him. And hopefully, by example, that's what you see in our fellowship as well. I need Jesus more today than ever. Let's follow him, be examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's always rewards attached to obedience. Five, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I like how he qualifies that. He says, younger submit to, your, to the older, but all of you guys submit to each other in understanding. Submit yourselves to each other. Be clothed in humility. Because if you are a prideful person, the Bible says, what is God, what is God going to do if you're a prideful person? He's going to humble you. Just to show you, you know, like you're not, sorry, you're not up there. You're down here. And, and if you're a humble person, you humble yourself before God, before others, and you serve others, what is God going to do? He's going to exalt you. Look at, look at the perfect example of uh, um, <laughs> Joseph. I almost said Joshua because we're in Joshua on Wednesday night. Joseph, totally humbled, sold into slavery, suffered upon suffered upon suffered and humbled beyond all measure, resisted sin, and God exalted him to the highest in the land. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. What does that mean? It means as you humble yourself, he's going to exalt you because he cares about you. But if you think that you can do it in your own strength or you're better than everybody else, he's going to humble you. Be sober, vigilant. This is our final section here. Number three, point number three. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know how the enemy most usually gets into our lives through suffering? He sneaks in through the little door, sometimes bigger than others, uh, of pride. And he says, you don't deserve this. You're better than this. God does not deserve to treat you like this. You don't deserve to suffer. You should be having a much more convenient, fruitful life than this. And God doesn't know what he's doing. Just like in the Garden of Eden, Eve, God, did God really say? He, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Look how pretty it is. Eve, it's got sparkles on it. And it's probably really yummy. You should just do it. And the pride that Lucifer had to exalt himself above God, he imputed or, or tried to uh, deceive and trick Eve into doing the same thing, and it was successful. And it, the same thing happened to Adam. The devil walks about to, to devour. Verse 9, to resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. And most times when people quote that verse, they cut off the first part. It's necessary before you resist the devil that you know you're in a place of submission to God and his will, even in suffering, 
that I'm submitted to you through this process, God, and then resist the devil and he has no place in your life. Again, you see how this ties in with suffering and with expectation. Verse 10, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Take note, our closing four points. Through all this suffering, God is going to bring you to an end. And through the suffering and to the end, he's going to be working these four things in you. Number one, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a little while, perfect. You know, this word perfect in the Greek and the idea is wholeness. How many of you guys have been broken before? How many of you are a little broken now? God's desire is to bring you wholeness and it's necessary for you to go through the suffering so that he can bring that perfection into your life, that wholeness. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Perfection. Number two, establish there's this word of, of, of an anchor, establish, solidify. Even what your expectation in God should be, God wants you to be strong in that conviction. Strengthen. You know, I get prayer requests all the time from people. I'll say, please pray for me, pray for me. You know, obviously, I, I do. I pray for all of you. And, and sometimes people say, please ask God to stop this trial and suffering in my life. And you know, there's a hesitation for me there. And I will say, God, your, what your will is through this, I know that you have a purpose in this person's suffering. And I love this person. I don't want to see them suffer. But if you see it as necessary, please strengthen them through the trial. Because it's always better to be strengthened through the trial to come out stronger than to stop the trial altogether and still remain weak. You get what I'm saying? God, strengthen them through the trial so that they will see your glory through the process, the completion of the process, and they'll be better for it in the end instead of remaining in the same place that they were before. Because it was purposeful. You did it for a reason and settle you. Here, I like this too, this idea, the last point of, of being settled, you know, not a wave tossed to and fro, but, but a, a grounding, a groundedness. You know, there's, there's no anxiety of what's going to happen or what's coming up when you're settled, when God settles you in a matter. You know why? Here's why, because you're settled. <laughs> you get it. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus Amen. So we're going to do two things to practice the scripture and application this week. Before you leave church, give somebody a kiss, a holy kiss, your brothers and sisters. It can be on the hand. Don't be weird, you know. You don't have to do it. I know it's weird. It's gross, but it's just what we just read. And then number two, today marks the first day of our prayer and fasting the next week for the Golden Knights in our first round. So it's not funny. I'm praying and fasting all week. Why are you laughing? 
So every day, lunch and dinner, we're going we're gonna to fast through and pray for um, the knights to get saved and to win the Stanley Cup. Amen? <laughs> Father, we love you and we thank you for your, for your practical care on our behalf. That sometimes we say, we don't know what to do, God. What should we do? How do we deal with this suffering? And you say, here, look at these things. This is what I want you to practice. Don't push back against the suffering. But know that it's for a purpose and it's for my glory to be shown through your life. Number two, you leaders be an example and rule well. Oversee the people as shepherds in loving them and caring for them through their sufferings. And number three, don't allow the enemy to have any place in your life to allow you to have any pride that's built up against God because we will be humbled if that's the case. Resist the devil. We are submitted to God in confidence that he has no place even in the times of difficulty and suffering. God, we have good expectations in you. We thank you for the place that you've placed us in today and we want to glory in everything we go through knowing that it has had to filter through your hands first in Jesus' name. Amen.